This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back from the bye week and welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you. It is November. Penn State is 8-0, and they've got a battle of the unbeatens coming up this weekend, Saturday, 11 a.m. Minneapolis time, noon on the East Coast. Uh, two teams that are looking to make a big statement, uh, more so probably Minnesota and, and what they can gain from this, but uh, Penn State in their own right, uh, adding to their resume. And we're going to get to that resume right now, Sean, because the college football playoff polls are out. We're going to get more into this minnesota Penn State matchup with Ryan Burns of Gopher Illustrated, uh, the Minnesota site online on 24-7 Sports. Uh, he gave you a solid 20 minutes or so um, on Tuesday. Here we are talking on Wednesday. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment, but obviously the big news coming out Tuesday night was the very first edition of the college football playoff rankings. I always find this to be the most interesting, aside from the final one, because this is where you really get inside the initial foundational mindset of the committee to see how they value certain teams, what they've done through two months of action. And it turns out they value what Penn State's done pretty well. Penn State, part of that top four for the first time in the college football playoff history. They are behind number one, Ohio State, number two, LSU, number three, Alabama. And then behind Penn State, you've got Clemson uh, riding a 24-game win streak and a defending national champion. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, Georgia at six, Oregon at seven, Utah at eight, Oklahoma at nine, and Florida at 10. Elsewhere in the Big Ten, as I said, Ohio State, number three in the Associated Press, number one in the college football playoff ranking. You've got Michigan, a team that Penn State beat. They are number 14. You've got Minnesota, a team Penn State plays on Saturday. They are number 17. They're behind six, two lost teams. And then Iowa, another team that's on Penn State's uh, win list. Uh, they are number 18. So, Sean, there's all the information. What do you make of it? Oh, you also uh, skipped over Wisconsin, which the committee ranked one spot ahead of Michigan. Of course, they beat Michigan uh, back in, in late September. But uh, what do I make of it? Not much, man. Um, I, I tweeted last night, I, I just struggle to find the energy to be outraged about things like this because it's early November. You've got a top four in which number one will end up playing number four in, in, in a couple of weeks. Number two plays number three this weekend. So it doesn't matter. I mean, I guess the committee, you know, wanted to get some juice behind these early rankings and, and Dabo's probably happier than anybody right now with Clemson sitting at number five with his us against the world, even though we've won 24 games in a row and a couple of national championships. Uh, it, it's, it's crazy to think about, you know, how little this is going to matter. Three of four teams last year in the initial rankings made the college football playoff. Maybe that's something to hang your hat on if you're any of these teams, because you know two of them are going to have losses uh, in the next couple of weeks. So I, I just I struggle to to see the significance. But you're right in that it tells you what the committee is looking for. Penn State's resume so far uh, looks pretty good. 
I believe strength of victory is it wasn't strength of schedule that Penn State's number two in the country. It's like strength of wins or strength. There's so many different <laughs> things here. It just doesn't make any sense. But um, Penn State's in a good spot right now. You, you had them at four or five. You weren't sure where they were going to slot. Clemson people are obviously upset about it. But I mean, what what's it going to matter in a couple of weeks? So um, I, I, I like where Penn State is right now. Obviously, you want to be in that top four as much as possible, even with a, a close loss to Ohio State. We're going we're to talk, uh, talk about the looks test here in a little bit, but you put yourself in a position to, to stay ahead of Oregon, to stay ahead of Oklahoma, and those are two schools, and I kind of wrote off the Pac-12 and the Big 12 uh, in, in our episode last week, but those are the two schools you kind of got to stay ahead of. I think what it does, uh, you know, compared to years past, Penn State doesn't necessarily have the uphill climb. They're they're in that. But as you said, uh, we're going to get kind of a pre-playoff scenario shaping up here in early November. And let's face it, that's the beauty of college football. That's why it's different than, than, than the NFLs, because once you get into this final stretch, and even the games in late August, Labor Day weekend, you kind of feel like there's an elimination feel to some of these matchups. And, uh, you know, I think with Penn State at four, uh, they've got to be very pleased with, with that with that situation. And and uh, you know, with Ohio State, uh, I, I don't know if this is what you were referencing. Ohio State leads the nation right now in terms of accrued wins for their opponents. Uh, I don't know if that's strength of wins or strength of opponents or what they're calling that. Penn State's number two on that list in, in terms of total wins, and they're going to get an opportunity to play a team with eight victories uh, Saturday. So you know, there, there's only another team that gets to do that. That's LSU and Alabama who play each other. Uh, I you know going to kind of how this is going to shape up. I think you're going to see the winner of LSU, Alabama, leapfrog Ohio State, and then I think Ohio State will have a chance to reassert itself as a number one uh, against Penn State, especially if the Nittany Lions are are, are ten and zero at that it'll, stage. It'll give Ohio State the, the, a chance to play the us against the world card because they got <laughs> dropped after you know a team beat a number or a top two or top three team. Right, and uh, I th- th- that'll be next week. And I yeah. think with yeah that'll be the storyline. And then with Clemson, I mean, look, they, these top four teams are playing each other. It's and and they're going to be sitting there and, and they're not a team that needs to go on the road and play two unbeaten teams like Penn State so uh, they've still got to like where they're at uh, I'm sure that that's not necessarily true because they, they are the reigning champions and, and they think that should factor in and, and all that stuff but you know when it comes down to it the, the, the committee chair Rob Mullins he cited marquee wins uh, for Penn State as, as being the difference maker when evaluating the case for Penn State versus Clemson for that fourth spot um, and, and it's true I mean look they whooped Alabama's ass last year in the national championship in, in a way that Nick Saban doesn't doesn't ever encounter uh but that was last year and and, and they're really trying to make an effort I guess to, to to make sure there is that clarified separation between what happened you know in 2018 and then in January of 2019 versus what has happened since late August here uh, in 2019 and uh that is differentiated Penn State specifically he mentioned the wins over Iowa and Michigan as we said uh two teams ranked in the top 18 right now in the college football playoff uh, ranking system there are five Big Ten teams overall in the top 18 thank you for for noting uh, the absence of Wisconsin uh that I that I forget, failed to mention so obviously there's respect for this conference uh, and, and the, the least of which uh, probably going to Minnesota right now, as I said, 17th ranked behind six, two lost teams. Uh, but then when, when asked to kind of evaluate, okay, so 
Penn State has the edge over Clemson. What's the difference between them and Alabama uh, at, at number three right now? Um, Alabama, they said, more dominant play versus its uh, entire schedule to this point. Alabama's outscoring opponents 389 to 122. Their closest game was a 19-point victory on the road at number 24, Texas A&M, back in October. Um, so they have run away from games. Penn State has threatened to do the same. But we've kind of talked about how uh, whether it's uh, an offensive lull, uh, a little bit of a late rally from a team like we saw against Michigan, a combination of those two things. Penn State has outscored opponents 308-77, to Sean. They scored 79 points in their season opener. So that was more points than they've allowed through eight games. And then a 21-0 lead for Penn State in four of their first five Big Ten games. They were unable to shut the door uh, against against Michigan. Uh, you know the, the, the final score didn't look as crazy as we thought it might against a team like Purdue. It did against Maryland, but uh, you know Penn State has certainly had dominant moments in their own right, um, and, and they've also shown they can scrap out a win if they need to. Yeah, they, they've shown that they can win in different ways, and I think that's what the the Iowa win was important. And of course, the Michigan State, while those teams are, you know, Iowa's still in the top 25, Michigan State's not, but those teams are still respected. Those teams are still, you know what you're going to get with those. And I think Penn State's uh, done a nice job of, of adjusting its style to, to play. Out of that top four, you've got LSU, you know, they play Alabama this weekend, but excuse me, they play Alabama this weekend, but they still have the easiest schedule of those four remaining. Alabama still has Auburn after LSU. Penn State and Ohio State, of course, play each other. And Ohio State will get Michigan at the end of the year, as always. But right now, I mean, you got to look at that number 17 team. That's the one that uh, Penn State's going after uh, this weekend, going out to Minneapolis. And it's really interesting when we talk about who, who, which teams have beaten which teams and, and, and the resumes and Clemson and all this, Minnesota is behind six two-loss teams. I mean, that's, and of course, if they would happen to win this weekend, you know, that's going to be a, a resume booster right there. But still, I mean, you, you see where the committee thinks Minnesota is. You see where teams like Baylor are that's still undefeated. And of course, uh, you know, you see seven and eight Utah and Oregon are going to kind of take it, take care of each other eventually in the Pac-12. So it's, it, it's crazy, that jumbled mess, but the the thing to think about here is Penn State's at number four. So you know if they if they do happen to fall, you know say that happens at Ohio State, you know, I don't see them dropping all that far because of it. Yeah, in Minnesota, uh, you know we we talked about before in the AP poll ranked thirteenth. So that's a bit of a contrast compared to some of these other results we've seen. The four spots behind that, their number thirteen ranking in the AP poll is the highest for them since nineteen ninety nine. I think I mentioned that during the bye week. And uh, another thing I, I thought was was interesting in the top group because these teams are going to be chomping at Penn State's heels. And if Penn State were to to lose a game down the stretch, they're going to fall into that one loss pack. And that's always something interesting to sort through. Georgia over Oregon seems at least arguably odd to me, Sean, because Oregon lost in August to, to Auburn on a neutral field in which they had to go across the country. Uh, Georgia lost in October to South Carolina at home. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. To me, that speaks about maybe where the Pac-12 is viewed. And, and obviously, Georgia uh, is a team that's going to have to go and continue to prove it. They're going to have to you know, work their way to an SEC championship game. A win over Florida was big for them. Uh, but you know, that, that's one that kind of stuck out to me. And you can kind of nitpick through this entire deal. Um, I, I will say, coming out of this, as we look and, and you try to avoid falling into that one-loss pack, Sean, do you think 13-0 and is necessarily a requirement for Penn State? It kind of felt like it. Now I'm taking a look at this list, and I'm thinking that trip to Ohio State, if Penn State beats Minnesota this week and beats Indiana at home on uh, the following Saturday, 
Now, obviously, we're getting ahead of ourselves. This is not what James Franklin wants his team to be doing, but we're, we're allowed to do it. Uh, so if they go to Columbus, you're looking at potentially either picking up the the best win of anybody in the country against a team that started number one in the college football rankings, or you're looking at maybe the best loss if it's a hard fought game that, that that it's been in the past and it goes down to the wire and uh, it's a you know a one possession game and you know I think that's also an argument to make where. Uh, it gets tricky because their, their door is maybe shut to get to Indianapolis for the Big Ten Championship game, but I think Penn State fans know full well you don't necessarily need to win the Big Ten Championship to get into the college football playoff. Yeah, I think that's where the looks test comes in, and, and it's going to take the best loss because you know so so many crazy things are still going to line up and, and happen throughout November and, and the championship games and things like that that you know we've seen this before, and this is one where you just you stack up as many wins as possible, and you know if you do lose, you, you lose you lose looking good. So we'll see what happens with that. I think what the committee is saying in this is that the best loss or the best win is going to come in the Big Ten or the SEC. I think that's what the the initial uh, rankings really put out there. You mentioned the Oregon loss to uh, to Auburn earlier in the year, and I agree. I agree with you there. I think they they belong in that uh, that conversation. I think I, I would have slotted them above Georgia, but uh, that's a I game. Mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Sean. They were winning that one pretty deep into the game, right? Uh, yeah, I think Oregon was. Yeah, so I mean that's a pretty good looking loss at this stage of the season. Yeah, I'd say so, but I think it. I think it says what the committee thinks about the Pac-12, and uh, we'll we'll see how that changes. And, and like I said, crazy things are going to happen in November. Uh, you know, you're going to get a loss out of one of those top four this week. You're going to see Clemson in the top four next week. Uh, I don't think you're going to see Clemson lose to Wake Forest. Who knows? But uh, it's uh, you know, it's going to be it's going to be fun, and that's why we do this. That's why we you know that's why we love November so much in college football. And of course, Penn State. Uh, you know, as James Franklin was was quick to point out on Tuesday. They've got Minnesota this week. Minnesota's a pretty good team. They're undefeated, obviously, and that's something that's that that really needs to be the focus. And you know, we can talk about Ohio State all we want, but uh, you know, if you don't get past this one, you know, this is not a best loss scenario. If you go into into Minneapolis and you come out with a loss, you're out of this thing. Yeah, and and we talked about this during the bye week. It really does feel like you know the, the new chapter has started with Penn State's final third of the season, and there's still four games, two on the road against unbeaten teams. But that, now it's the college football playoff push. I mean, and it's another distraction potentially for this team, but it also should serve as motivation. Uh, you know, they're going to keep saying if, if they stack up 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, it's going to get to where they want to be. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're in the business of kind of projecting things a bit more than that. And, but James Franklin reaction, if you were looking for one on uh, Tuesday night uh, uh, upon the rankings, which he told us he would not be uh, following attently, he tweeted Minnesota 25 times uh, Well, in one tweet. But uh, it was 25 Ran- mentions. Of he, he randomly tweeted that he wasn't following them at all. I'm sure he randomly tweeted that at that time that they just released them. But no, the the good thing here, and we can talk about how little these rankings mean. But James Franklin can now go to a recruit and say, "Hey, we're a college football playoff contender. We're a college football playoff type of team. We're ahead of Clemson right now, which is you know obviously a, a gold standard coming off of a national championship." So. I think that's the thing to take out of it. If you're Penn State, you can ride this momentum. You can, you know, you can put this, you can put yourself up on a platform with the Ohio State's Alabama, LSU, uh, even Clemson as well. So I think that's the biggest thing that Penn State can take out of this is the the appearance. Uh, and you know, they're I'm, I'm saying appearance like they're not they haven't deserved to get there, but the appearance that they're up there with the national powers. And then you've got teams like Michigan, Notre Dame, who just played each other a couple weeks ago, where where they're sitting there with two losses and, and they're trying to get to as 
good a bowl game as they can get to by the end of this thing. And, and so they're not really in that conversation anymore. And and then what's going on and you know with the Gators losing, they, they were really the only hope for anything positive for the big three down in Florida right now. So when you talk about recruiting and the way Penn State's trying to extend it, it's 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 reach, especially south. Uh, you know, this is a certainly a great selling point. We did see a lot of players follow suit with James Franklin tweeting one and oh last night around 9 30, 10 o'clock or Minnesota, Minnesota, Minnesota. Did see a few others who showed a little bit more interested in those college football playoff rankings, but also to your point, uh, saw a few recruits tweet out uh, with some pride about about being committed to Penn State or taking notice of Penn State being in that top four, and it's a selling point uh, for guys like Nick Dawkins and, and, and who are committed to this school to say, "What are you waiting for? Jump on board." Not that there's a lot of spots to take, and we'll get to that a little bit later, Sean. There is a uh, some, some significant news on the recruiting trail for a top Penn State target. Uh, but first things first, we're going to get to this conversation with Ryan Burns, who caught up with you of Gophers Illustrated, uh, covers Minnesota football for 24-7 Sports. Commercial break, and then we hop into that discussion. I know that people sometimes skip ahead of interviews and things like that, but I can tell you Ryan uh, provides some excellent content uh, on the Gophers. I know it's not a team that, you know, in the Big Ten East that Penn State fans follow all that often, but Ryan did a great job of laying this out. Also, we have a uh, a, a community thread, the, the best community thread of all time on 24-7 Sports because it hasn't devolved into name-calling and fighting and everything like that. Minnesota fans are great, man. Um, but we have that on our board. It's gone 50-some pages, and it's fantastic. Um, everybody has gotten together to, I guess, Minnesota fans and Penn State fans hate Jeff Ehrman, so that helps to uh, to get that out of there. Jeff got a kick out of that. Um, but uh, no, it's, uh, it, it's good stuff from Ryan. I implore you to stick around and check it out because you can learn a lot about the opponent this weekend. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We now go to the phone lines for Gopher Illustrated's Ryan Burns, joining us in anticipation of the 8-0 clash between the Nittany Lions and the Golden Gophers of Minnesota. Ryan, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. So I think the question that you've probably gotten a bunch and that I think our fans have is the first question. Is Minnesota good, good? I mean, you look at the schedule, you look at the 8-0 record. I mean, you you can, of course, get questions from that. But is Minnesota good, good? What, what would you think? <laughs> That's probably the question I get more than any other in the last couple of weeks is, how good is Minnesota? And my answer to that continues to be, we're going to find out here in November. I know that they're good enough to have one of their best months in seemingly my entire lifetime where they go 4-0 in the month of October against four Big Ten teams now, again, it's not the Ohio States and the, and the Michigans of the world, but it's certainly against four Big Ten teams, and you won by 100 and, I believe, 27 points combined. So you won all three games by an average of 37 points. So I know that this team wasn't very uh, consistent, I'll say, in – in September, they were much, much better in October, and now we get to a November where Minnesota's got to play three ranked teams, including Penn State this weekend, who I think is certainly the toughest opponent they have remaining on their schedule. So I think that they're a really good offense. I think they're multidimensional, which makes them tough to defend. 
I think the defense is fine and the special teams has been a disaster, but I think this is a good football team. And the question that we're going to find out on Saturday is how long can Minnesota stay around? Can Minnesota stay around long enough to potentially win this football game? Because it's certainly the biggest football game in TCF Bank Stadium history. And I know that this team is really amped to be able to play in that kind of atmosphere. Before we get into the the actual personnel and everything like that, I was talking to, to a college coach last week. He said the, the there's the difference between a, a Minnesota and, say, Maryland, who Minnesota just railroaded last week, uh, is kind of the culture and the buy-in. Uh, they've seen that a lot through P.J. Flex teams, not only at Minnesota but at Western Michigan. How far has that come in the last couple of years? Because it's, it's a big – I mean, Maryland came out and, and sort of you know beat them down a couple of years ago, and two years later they completely turned that around. How much has that culture changed? How much has the, uh, I guess, the mindset of this entire program changed since P.J. Flex got in there? Well, shoot, Maryland even beat down Minnesota last year. They won by 29 points when Minnesota traveled out there, and Anthony McFarlane ran wild, and 300-something yards later, here we are, and Minnesota had to fire a defensive coordinator. So we're talking about a team that really ended the season well, and it started when Minnesota made a defensive coordinator change. They fired Rob Smith after they gave up a double nickel to a terrible Illinois team. They gave up a lot of points to Maryland. They gave up 42 points to Maryland last year, and Maryland never ran a play from the red zone. If that gives you an indication of how bad it was. And then Nebraska put up 50 points on them. So Minnesota fires Rob Smith, and they insert Joe Rossi. And since then, with essentially the same players, this defense has completely changed. It's a lot more fundamentally sound. And offensively, they've really been able to find their stride on the offensive line. But it, you mentioned the culture. And I know a lot of people mock the whole roll the boat thing. Trust me, I was in your shoes. When I saw that Minnesota hired P.J. Fleck, I thought it was an act. I thought it was a bit. For someone who has had hundreds upon hundreds of interactions with the man now in the three years he's been here, Fleck is the same way. With the cameras on, the cameras off, whether it's September or a June camp that I'm at, and you're talking to the guy, he is a walking Red Bull. And to say that, he's probably five walking Red Bulls. But it's something that the players really rally around. They, they love the energy. They love what this row the boat culture stands for. And it's why Minnesota has been able to kind of improve the way that they have since September. Because it was dicey in September. I'll be the first one to admit but the way that they were able to come together in October and just put away opponents that middling to lower level Big Ten opponents, you beat them by an average of 30 points. And now we're going to find out how much that culture has changed when Penn State comes to town this weekend. It's an oddly similar story that that, that I tell with James Franklin. I mean, and, and that's one thing that people that I talk to outside of both programs really, you know, categorize James Franklin and PJ Fleck as similar people, uh, similar coaches, similar uh, approaches to things. So it, it's really interesting seeing the parallels in their uh, coaching style. And and really, both teams are eight and zero. So obviously, somebody's doing something right. Going back to that offense, you said that they, they, they bring a little bit different than you've seen in years past. James Franklin called them the best group of wide receivers that they've gone up against so far. Huge offensive line. What is the, you know, what's the, uh, what's the go-to for this Minnesota offense, and, and how good can they be? And, and have you seen, do you think, how good they could be? They're certainly the best I've seen in my, I think it's eight years I've covered this football team. This Minnesota team has scored 28 or more points in every single game this season. And that's the first time that's happened in 115 years. It was 1904. The Great War hadn't even happened yet. Now, it also speaks to how mediocre Minnesota football has been for largely a long time. But 
we're talking about an offense that is about as multidimensional as I've also seen. For many years, Minnesota was able to run the ball, but trying to find a quarterback and let alone a receiver that could get open was really a struggle under Jerry Kill and Tracy Clays. Well, if P.J. Fleck has an M.O., it's really developing receivers. Minnesota's got two, potentially three guys that are pretty dang good. Tanner Morgan has been their quarterback this season. Uh, we thought there was going to be a, a quarterback competition in camp, and then the guy he would have been battling with, Zach Anikson, went down with a non-contact injury that's knocked him out for the entire 2019 season. And all Morgan has done is become the most efficient passer in Big Ten play so far. You know, I know Sean Clifford has been really good, but so has Tanner Morgan in that respect. And the two guys on the outside you're going to see a lot of on Saturday that Minnesota is going to really want to get the ball to is Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman. Tyler Johnson is probably going to be a top 100 draft pick, someone that set single season receiving records last year. He's going to be the guy, number six, that you're going to see work in the short to intermediate game, while number 13, Rashad Bateman, is the deep threat. He is another guy that I think has a, a high ceiling. He's going to be an NFL guy. Broke freshman receiving records last year, and he has been just a deep threat that you've seen so many different Big Ten defenses put a safety over the top of him wherever he is because they're so concerned about getting beat deep. And that means that Minnesota's running game has been able to really get off the ground. They have three running backs in Rodney Smith, Shannon Brooks, and Mo Ibrahim who have a combined 7,000 collegiate rushing yards between them. They're very experienced players. They're very talented players, Smith and Brooks being seniors. And then it comes down to the offensive line for Minnesota, which I think is going to be the biggest matchup that's going to dictate Minnesota's success in this game is how does Minnesota's offensive line, I like to call them the Minnesota moving company up front, how are they able to combat which is that Penn State front seven, which is just so ferocious, uh, whether it's the inside guys like Robert Windsor or – the outside guys and Jason Owe and, and Yitzer Gross Matos. And then you got big Micah Parsons out there in the linebacking core. I mean, this is as ferocious as a front seven as they face. So we're really going to find out how far Minnesota's offensive line has come on the game Saturday. We don't cover or follow Minnesota much out this way in terms of recruiting. There's not a big overlap between the two. How big of a win was Rashad Bateman back in 2018? This is a kid that was... Uh, uh, 205 nationally by 24-7 sports, had the Georgia offer, a kid from Georgia. Can you just, for, for our listeners, can you tell them about that recruitment, how crazy that was, and how big of a uh, of a win that was to secure him and to keep him on board when, when some big schools were coming after him late? Absolutely. So the story goes that back in the day, Rashad Bateman going into, I believe, his senior year of high school, for the first two, three years, he thought he was going to be a basketball player. And I, indeed, I believe he had a Penn State basketball offer. It was them and Virginia Tech. And then he decided that he wanted to dedicate himself full-time to football because he thought he had a higher ceiling. So then Minnesota gets him at a satellite camp down in Georgia. They offer him, get him committed. He's got no other offers. I don't believe he had a single other Power 5 offer on the board going into his senior season that saw him blow up and blow up in nine SEC offers including in-state Georgia. Kirby Smart was at his school the week before signing day trying to get him flipped, and Rashad had no part of it. To kind of indicate to you how in the boat Rashad Bateman is, well, he's got row the boat already tattooed on himself. So if there's a guy that's really bought into P.J. Fleck in this culture, I'd say it's Rashad Bateman. But being able to get him out of the state of Georgia and out of the south up to Minnesota 
and win, get a recruiting win over so many SEC teams, including the in-state Georgia, it's really a big win. And you've been able to see that it wasn't just all stars and uh, these paper tigers. Rashad Bateman's a legitimate player. He's a guy that is uh, certainly demanding a ton of attention around Big Ten teams. He's put up some big stat lines with some big catches. And he's a guy that Minnesota is going to be really counting on on Saturday. So we talked about the offense, the defense, of course, um, probably probably a step behind that. But, you know, there's got some players there. Antoine Winfield's a guy that James Franklin pointed to. He's having a really good year, I believe five picks. Uh, what, what kind of trouble can that defense pose to this Penn State offense? What they're really good at doing is just doing two things really well, and that is limiting big plays, and that is stopping the run. Now, they haven't been quite Penn State level at stopping the run at two yards per carry, but certainly in October, they did a really good job of limiting some pretty talented running backs. What Reggie Corbin is for Illinois, I think that Nebraska's got a couple of good ones here in the West as well. But limiting them has, was the big point of, of emphasis because if you're able to stop the run, I don't have to tell any of your Penn State listeners this, you're able to get in a passing down situation, which you're able to get your pass rushers onto the field. They're able to pin their ears back, and Minnesota was able to generate quite – a bit of pressure. Now, it doesn't always come up in the stat sheet in terms of the box score stats with tackle for loss and sacks, but guys like Carter Coughlin, uh, you look at his last stat line against Maryland, two tackles, one sack. You're thinking, well, he didn't do much. Well, I believe he had a career-high eight pressures on that day. He wasn't able to get home on a ton of them, but he's able to generate pressure. And then the other thing that Joe Rossi really takes a lot of pride in is limiting the big play. Now, K.J. Hamler and Noah Kane and Journey Brown, and once you get into the red zone, Pret Fryermuth are going to be big-time targets for this Penn State offense. But I think that's one of the most intriguing things is when I was doing research on this Penn State team, I looked at the month of October, and on the 16 scoring drives that Penn State had, only two of them were nine plays or more, which tells me that either the defense is putting them in a lot of short fields or this is a very explosive offense. So you'd have to think that Joe Rossi, Minnesota's defensive coordinator, is thinking, I have to make Sean Clifford go 9, 10, 11 play drives to get, to get points, and that's been really a, a point of emphasis for him throughout this entire 2019 season. And the special teams, uh, not so good. Uh, you mentioned, uh, I believe, uh, utter disaster is the way you put it. Uh, why, why is that? What is, uh, what is the biggest issue with, uh, with what you've seen from them so far this year? I mean, what isn't is the issue is I look at uh, the biggest mismatch on paper anyway is how efficient and how good Penn State special teams have been compared to Minnesota's, which have just been touching the stove week after week after week. And I understand Minnesota's 8-0, but if you can continue to touch the stove each week, eventually you're going to get burned. And I'm wondering if this is the weekend that Minnesota finally gets burned. They're... They've had a field goal blocked already. Uh, they had, their punter is one of the worst in the Big Ten. It's averaging, I think, 36 yards per net punt, which is not good. Um, not a lot of leg strength behind him. The punt return unit is the worst in the Big Ten. Minnesota has only returned two punts, all Big Ten play, while I believe Penn State leads Big Ten play with 17 returned. And on those two punts that the Gophers have returned, it's negative three yards. There really isn't a big threat there. The kickoff return unit isn't a threat. While their kicker on the kickoff has kicked a couple out of bounds, we've seen some long returns from the kickoff game. I mean, there's just been an assortment of issues wherever you want to look. 
And that's the issue is if this is going to be a tight game, it might come down to which punter can flip the field. And I don't have a ton of confidence that Jacob Herbers is a punter that can flip the field. And if he can't, you're going to give Penn State some pretty good field position and an already good team doesn't need great field position to help them out. So I think it's going to be one of the more interesting things just to watch is can Minnesota special teams finally get their stuff together or is this the game that they finally burn them? And then I think the other thing to watch is Minnesota is the least penalized team in Big Ten play, whether you're looking at total penalties or penalty yards. Penn State, on the other hand, is the most penalized team in Big Ten play at 75 penalty yards per game. So is Penn State going to give the Gophers an extra first down or two, or is, say, on the third and five, and where Penn State gets a first down on offense, is there a holding call that's going to bring them back and force them to punt? I think those are kind of the little nuances that I'm going to be really focusing on. Yeah, that hidden yardage can add up, and uh, you know you can get there with with Blake Gillikin as punter at Penn State. You can you can work against the uh, Minnesota special teams. I think the the formula that everyone thinks uh, for Minnesota to win this game is to stretch this one out as long as they can, bleed the clock, sit on the ball. Um, you know they they've got a tremendous uh, advantage in time of possession on average. Is that the formula that you foresee that that, that Penn State uh, to beat Penn State? Is that the way to go about it this weekend? Well, I certainly would tell you P.J. Fleck would say so because we asked him as a media a couple of weeks ago, what's the first thing you look at when you get that stat sheet following a win? And he said time of possession because of the way that Minnesota plays. They do want to be a ball-dominating offense for the most part, but when I say that, it makes it sound like it's slow, methodical, non-explosive. This certainly is an explosive offense. Rashad Bateman can take one of the house at any point. Tyler Johnson can do the same. Chris Hotman-Bell, another receiver on the outside. Plus, all three of those running backs, if they see daylight, they have the deep speed to be able to house it. But in that same respect, Minnesota's offense is predicated on their zone running scheme. And they really want to get the outside zone game going, the inside zone game to complement it, and then the RPOs underneath and in between. So if Minnesota is continually having 8, 10, 12 play scoring drives, that means they're probably having 6, 8, 10 uh, minute drives, which... I would not, if I was a uh, gopher football coach, I would not want Sean Clifford and Noah Kane and Pratt Fryermuth and KJ Hamler to have more than hopefully 55, 60 offensive snaps because hopefully the offense is able to put Penn State out on the field much more frequently than they've been in recent weeks. But for the Minnesota to do that, I think it's going to be a really tough test because, like I said, I have a ton of respect for this Penn State run defense. And if Minnesota is not going to be able to run the ball very effectively on Saturday, it doesn't take an elite football mind to tell you that if you're not able to run the ball, you're going to be passing, and that clock is not going to tick as quickly as you want. Well, we're 16.45 in here, and it's the first mention of elite on either side. So congratulations to you. I know that's a big (laughs) Fleck thing. It's a big Franklin thing. P.J. Flex got a little bit uh, – he, he's now got an elite paycheck. He just signed the extension just before we came on on the air. $4.6 million and a buyout for year one that's going to be $10 million. How does this uh, contract extension uh, impact or affect the, uh, the Gophers' future? Well, it certainly takes him off of the hot boards. I mean, if someone wants to come to Minnesota <laughs> – you, you, know um, right <laughs> you know that's not true. You know he's going to stay on those hot boards. Yeah, I'm sure – I'm sure somebody needs the clicks, but if somebody wants to come up to Minnesota in the next 13 months and pay a $10 million buyout, I'm sure Mark Hoyle would be like, well, we did what we could. We get 10 more, we get 10 mil to potentially spend on somebody different. So I think this, to me, it should take him off the hot board list for the next two years. Now, 
I know a lot of people are thinking, well, yeah, Flex got a cash out high. He's 8 0, and now they got a tough November. I mean, yes, but Minnesota's also got a two game lead in the Big Ten West. And there's only four games left. And it, once you get into November, it's just you start to count the games. Now, I understand that they still got Iowa and Wisconsin after this, and Big Ten West winner last year, uh, Northwestern, which looks absolutely dismal this year. But the reality is, Fleck is different. And different is good in this media market where you have four pro sports teams and you're not the top of the top and you don't have a ton of media attention in the off season. And it's something to where, especially in recruiting, I know this was being used against Minnesota where Florida state was putting him on a hot board, just uh, Southern Carolina, excuse me, um, Southern California had him out there. And I know that from talking to recruits, they were asking me, you know, flex leaving. And I'm like, this is a conversation you shouldn't be having with me, but probably your recruiting coach or PJ Fleck. And so now that he has the ammunition to say, hey, I'm not going anywhere. You know, my annual salary got bumped by 1.5. The assistant coaches are going to get more money. And my buyout is $10 million. I mean, it's eight figures. So I'm going to be here long term. I think it uh, is certainly a help as Minnesota tries to finish well here down the stretch. That's Ryan Burns. His buyout is not eight figures, but we still thank him for joining us anyway. Ryan, we're going to talk to you later this week on the site in terms of uh, question exchange and all that kind of stuff. We'll get to your prediction later this week, I'm sure. But thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure, and hopefully we'll we'll catch up with you down the road. Sounds good. I appreciate appreciate you having me on. Good stuff from Ryan Burns. Thanks to him for his time on, on what is shaping up as a busy week in Minneapolis. Uh, some coaching news up there with P.J. Fleck getting a, a big contract extension. Not one that I don't think will prevent him from uh, maybe maybe down the line, uh, sooner rather than later, taking a huge mega offer from somewhere else. But a big deal, certainly, Minnesota stepping up uh, and, and looking to capitalize on what they have with that coaching staff and, and, and the excitement they have around that program right now. Uh, look forward to seeing Ryan in person in the press box on Saturday morning, which is weird to say. Uh, Mark Brennan and I will be making the trip out to Minneapolis on Friday. We'll be in attendance for this matchup, so look for our live coverage, as always, from the press box. Um, Sean, some Nittany Lions notes to get to from Tuesday's press conference. Not a lot to catch up on with James Franklin. We got him once during the bye week after a midweek practice. Um, obviously, there not, has not been a game since then, but one lingering dynamic storyline was the injuries suffered by Noah Kane and John Reed on the road at Michigan State in that rainy uh, matchup, 28-7 win for the Nittany Lions uh, the final Saturday of October. And, and Kane not sure what happened there. He started the game, his first college start, seven touches on the first 11 plays of the game. Uh, and then we did not see him again after the first two possessions, ultimately exiting uh, the tunnel with the team after the alma mater was sung and he needed some help getting off the field. We talked about that before. It looked like he wanted to avoid putting pressure on at least one of his legs. Couldn't really tell, though. Don't want to speculate. And then John Reed, again, nothing disclosed about it, but kind of landed awkwardly after making a, a pass breakup to to force the Michigan State punt, uh, seemed to be favoring uh, so, something with his upper body, um, and, and he was helped off the field by medical staff, and, and we did not see him return. According to James Franklin, who struck an optimistic tone uh, back at, at Michigan State in his postgame press conference, saying he didn't think they were long-term issues, now saying uh, on Tuesday, expecting them to go. We'll see, but I, I told you this yesterday. It feels like that contrasts the typical approach where Franklin is, is typically quick to say, we're not going to discuss injuries in front of the media. And it was even phrased the question like, I'm just going to shoot my shot here. 
anything to shed light on about these injuries? I didn't ask that question, but but uh, Franklin answered it with with some some sense of of optimism, and and that kind of again matches what we heard from him after the Michigan State game. Yeah, he said he, he they expect to have him back. It's usually like we hope to have him or something like that. I you know I'm not going to parse his words because I don't you know he's never going to give you a straight injury update. But he did mention John Reed later when he was talking about Minnesota's receivers and how important Reed was and and those cornerbacks were into into doing what they trying to or uh, they are trying to accomplish this weekend. So I think that's that's some hopeful things with uh, with John Reed. We'll be at practice tonight and see if we can get uh, any looks at those guys and check them out on the notes afterwards. But uh, yeah, I mean if you can have Kane I mean it's going to be a cold day it's going to be another Noah Kane type day but I mean we'll see what happens I don't I don't foresee him getting all the carries or anything like that even if he was completely healthy so we'll see what happens there these defensive backs are are going to have a big job ahead of them and we're going to get into Minnesota more in our, our second episode this week but Reed has been banged up. Tariq Castro-Fields has left a couple of games. Trent Gordon has left a couple of games. You're playing freshmen out there, Keaton Ellis and and Marquise Wilson, um, and even a little bit of DJ Brown last week. So these corners, uh, you know, it's it's getting pretty thin pretty quick. So if you can get John Reed back into that mix, if you can get him, you know, full speed and healthy and everything like that, it's going to go a long way in securing that position because they've got, uh, they got a big test ahead of them with a couple of really good receivers at Minnesota. Yeah, James Franklin went so far as to say he feels like Minnesota's wide receiver group is the best they have prepared for in 2019. Uh, Rashad Bateman, 31 catches, 644 yards, and six touchdowns. And Tyler Johnson, 43 catches, 626 yards, seven touchdowns. Uh, 13 combined touchdowns for two guys. Not quite Pat Fryermuth and, and K.J. Hamler production in terms of reaching the end zone, but that, that's pretty impressive at the top of their group there. Uh, and, and they've got a few guys who can do damage. Additionally, Franklin said he also feels this is the best offensive line group they have prepared for uh, through nine games of the 2019 season. Uh, massive, a lot of size. We'll talk about that uh, coming up on the show. But Itor uh, Grossmatos, uh, you know, he was asked about the, the the weight differential that they'll be facing on the perimeter, and specifically, um, and he basically said, "Hey, someone's got, someone's got to win the battle. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it shapes up." And, and you know, Itor is is not not one lacking for confidence, but he's certainly not going to 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 throw out any bravado. Uh, it will be an interesting matchup in the trenches, uh, to be sure. And, and as Sean said, we'll, we'll talk about that on our second episode of the podcast. And, and if you especially skipped over it. Antonio, especially with, without yes. Antonio Shelton. That's going to be something that you know you didn't really see yourself saying coming into the season. But to not have a big body in there that's been productive, that's been, you know, he's he's giving you consistent effort, he's giving you consistent performance throughout the year. That's one thing that we may have been overlooking coming into this game is, you know, you're going to see more P.J. Mustafer. Judge Culpepper got bumped up uh, on the depth chart as well. Fred Hanser is now in the spotlight, but not having Shelton for this game in particular is going to be something that that really changes. It it could change some things, could turn into an extra first down here or there. You see some hidden yardage come out with that, but Penn State obviously would love to have Shelton, but that's obviously not an issue. Sean, we mentioned last week coming off the practice field that James Franklin uh, had, had specifically said expect more of P.J. Mustafer um, and more of Robert Windsor and, and, and less of maybe six guys and maybe – cutting on the rotation a bit he doubled down on that con uh on that kind of sentiment on tuesday in the press conference saying uh that you could see pj and rob windsor get between 15 20 more reps on on top of what they're normally accustomed to so certainly seems like they're going to kind of load up on those top two guys you're going to see fred hansard you're going to see judge culpepper we'll see who else they incorporate beyond that damian barber's kind of been hit or miss in, in the snaps he's received 
Um, Akeem Beeman has popped up a little bit here lately, but not sure how, how willing they're, they're going to go in that direction. We've yet to see Aeneas Hawkins contribute in a game. So uh, some question marks as, as you lose a guy from the top of that depth chart towards the bottom of the depth chart. Uh, but as you said, it's something that we'll be watching closely on Saturday, and we'll get into that more on Thursday. Um, of course, it is the coaching carousel starting to spin in college football. It, it, very rarely even makes it to November before we start uh, getting into full gear with this. And, and Florida State, uh, you know, less than two full seasons into the thing. Uh, Cans, Willie Taggart, they have been pretty embarrassing at times during his tenure. They saw enough to pull the plug on that process. And naturally, James Franklin uh, it doesn't surprise anymore, but when a high-profile job comes up, his name ends up uh, on these, you know, wish lists or whatever you want to call it, that put together by analysts. And, um, you know, you, you always wonder how some names get floated out there. But James Franklin was, you know, sort of asked about uh, not necessarily the Florida State situation, but just about is it is it a distraction? Do you like being brought up in these speculative reports? Do you dislike it? Uh, I'm just going to say what Franklin said here. Uh, his quote was, whenever anything comes up, we try to address it. Make sure everybody kind of understands where we're at with everything, with coaches, with players, with recruits, with all of it. So right there, I, I don't think he's spending a lot of time, but he's obviously very cautious to make sure that recruits are aware of his plans and, and the guys in his locker room if that needs to be addressed. He, he finished with saying, uh, we love it here, really enjoy coaching these guys, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. You know, Florida State's job is now open. It was Texas A&M following the 2017 regular season where there was some buzz around Franklin. And, and I think probably still, uh, most importantly, that Southern Cal job uh, appears to be looming. The Trojans were rocked again last weekend. Uh, it certainly feels like a coaching change is inevitable there in Southern Cal. Uh, but, you know, it, it's going to come with the territory, though, Sean. As, as long as Penn State keeps winning games, you're going to hear buzz about other programs wanting a, a, a piece of James Franklin, or you're going to hear about James Franklin, you know, wanting a contract extension. It goes either either or, and, and that's it for every premier head football coach in in the game. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I think it would be foolish to write it off just as nothing um, because, you know, this is a, this is a job that has come up before. I think, I don't think Florida state is, is the threat here. I think USC provides some attractive things that, you know, any coach would be really selling themselves short if they didn't look into. And I think that includes Franklin. So um, we'll, we'll see how that uh, plays out. Of course, you know, never gonna, he's never going to address anything like that until, you know, he didn't, didn't when he left for Penn or when he left Vanderbilt for Penn state. So um, I, I, I think it, it'd be foolish to write it off. I don't see it happening right now, but uh, you know, things, things have a way of, uh, of working themselves out. Penn state's in a really, really good spot right now from a, from a football standpoint, from a, a national contender standpoint, I'm not sure how you could leave Penn State right now, but you know, this is, stranger things have happened. And it also certainly feels like James Franklin is is most pleased with the culture that he has cultivated in this locker room within the program on his staff than he has been at any time. And when you still feel like your trajectory is is moving uh, upward, you know, it, it's tough to walk away from something that you've put a lot of effort into creating and establishing. But I, he would probably just say right now, Minnesota, 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 Minnesota. Um, Franklin did deflect, kind of jokingly 
mainly that uh, uh, these questions should be really targeting P.J. Fleck because he's done a great job at Minnesota. Uh, Fleck got paid a few hours later uh, publicly uh, agreeing to a contract extension with uh, the Golden Gophers. Uh, so cross his name off the list for now. He, maybe. He's going to call up P.J. and, and have <laughs> P.J. say the same thing about him, maybe get him a little more ching. But uh, we'll see what happens with uh, see what happens. P.J. is an interesting one because Minnesota, I mean, as, as much as he's done there and as well as he's done there, obviously not not really the destination, you know, a final destination type of job. So we'll see what happens. I don't think he's in the Rutgers running. I'm sorry about that. It sounds like Greg Schiano, uh, until Rutgers inevitably may screw that up. Um, it sounds like Greg Schiano might be coming back to the Big Ten. I'm going to be, you know, I'm watching that one very interested. Uh, we'll see what happens because... <laughs> Rutgers uh, administration has, has, has shown the propensity to bungle some of these big decisions, and, and, and we'll find out what happens. And I don't even and know. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't believe I forgot. Happy anniversary to you. Uh, not only was your wedding anniversary, but also 150 years of Rutgers football, the high point of the program, undoubtedly. Congratulations on that. Yes, yes. Uh, well, yeah, I, I'm not going to, but that's enough Rutgers for today. Um, and, and really quickly, though, I, I do want to say PJ Fleck has a, has a really heck of a reclamation project at, at Western Michigan. They were 1 and 11 his first year in 2013. His fourth year, 2016, they were 13 and 1, and they went on beating in the Mid American Conference. So this guy's got a heck of a track record. He's not even 40 yet. Um, and, and, and yeah, he's gonna, he'll have a chance this Saturday to, to really earn himself some dollars. But uh, certainly Penn State wants to extinguish some of the excitement when they make this trip to Minnesota. As we referenced during the bye week, Minnesota 8-0 for the first time since 1941. So uh, that's a lot to wrap your head around. Uh, Sean, from an individual player perspective, this is the award season. Mentioned a couple guys who were on semifinalist list last week, um, including K.J. Hamler for Player of the Year with Maxwell Award. They're down to... 12 players in the running for the Buckus Award, which goes to the top linebacker in college football. Micah Parsons is one of those 12 and just further indication of how far uh, the sophomore has come in in just his second full-time season at the position. Yeah, and I don't think he's going to win this one, but I think he's setting himself up well for next year, and I think that's uh, the way to to look at it with some of these awards. I mean, the 12 semifinalists, uh, you know, his numbers don't scream uh, top Linebacker in college football, 57 tackles, six tackles for loss, one sack. I think we know how, how good he is and how and when he's playing at his best. I mean, he is among the best in the country. Um, but, uh, it, yeah, I don't, I don't see him winning this one, but I can see him setting up for a run for it a, as a junior next year. Yeah, Paul Pazlozny, LeVar Arrington, uh, representing Penn State, they've won it. There's been other finalists, Shane Con- uh, Shane Conlin, Andre Collins, Brandon Short. Pazlozny was a finalist one year where he didn't win it. And then Dan Connor in 2007 is the most recent finalist. We'll see if he makes that cut to, to the finalist group. Right now it's the 12th semifinalist. Uh, but he was also, uh, you know, Micah Parsons is a freshman All-American in 2018. Now he's on, on the semifinalist list for the top linebacker in the country. I'd say this is a, a case where the recruitment hype was validated, Sean. Dude, he's good. I mean, he's, uh, you know, you can say what you want about Micah coming in. I know there were some question marks there, but he, you know, he's so far he's passed every test. Um, he's done a really nice job and he's developed into one of the elite players on this team and beginning to, to become more of a household name. And, and that's the thing with recruiting. Everybody knew that he was a five-star kid. Everybody knew, uh, you know, his reputation coming in. Um, but now he's really taken that and, and, and built off of that. Doesn't always happen with guys, but, uh, he's really done a nice job and he, and he did it by switching positions, which is not something you see from a, from a ton of guys. So, um, Parsons playing at a high level right now. He's, you know, he's, uh, the stats maybe don't tell the entire story. Would like to see him get his hands on 
ball. He almost got a pick uh, last weekend against Michigan State. Would like to see him get his hands on the ball, see what he can do with it, uh, not as a kick returner, maybe as forcing a turnover, picking a pass off or something like that because he's a. I, th- I think we have seen a lot of him um, playing within the system. We've seen a lot of him developing into a linebacker. I don't think that we've seen the extent of him as a game-changing guy when when you know when he gets around the ball and makes things happen, uh, when he gets a strip sack, when he gets a you know an interception or thing like that. Don't think we've seen that from him yet, but I think it's coming. Game-changing fullback, I think, is what Micah Parsons maybe maybe doing behind the scenes. Uh, Sean, from one former recruit who was a big-time guy to one who is now in that mix now, Theo Johnson, a commitment date's been set. November 18th, so we're getting close. Uh, Tight end out of uh, Windsor, Ontario, a guy that Penn State was very early on in his recruitment. It blew up to a national level, international level, I guess you should say. Um, He has made official visits to Penn State, Iowa, Georgia, was at the whiteout game a couple a few weeks ago in Beaver Stadium. Interestingly here, he is planning on using uh, uh, one last official visit in Ann Arbor at Michigan the weekend before his announcement. Uh, what's your read here, Sean? Because you were the first guy to put in a crystal ball last January. The crystal ball is very murky. There's two question marks, uh, and there's you and one other who have him going to Penn State. So not a, a lot of clarity quite yet, although he says he's close to a decision. He's played it close to the vest and done a nice job with that. And I think that, you know, I don't I don't think he's made a final decision. I think he's, you know, he, he's seen a, a bunch of things so far. He went to Georgia for his official. He went to Iowa for his official back in the spring. He's going to see Michigan again. I think Iowa's still in this a, a lot in, in terms of, you know, they haven't had a ton of production from the tight end this year, but obviously they've done it in the past and they have a little bit more of an open depth chart. So they're in it. Michigan, the location is there. Georgia, um, you know, Georgia losing Eric Gilbert to LSU, I think is something that, that that is worth noting. But I still think Penn State's got the best relationships. Penn State has the tight end uh, production that they've showcased to him, and you know they've done it while he's been on, you know, in campus in that stadium watching. Um, so they've they've got, I think, really they've got the most going for them. Um, you know that that location at Michigan might be tough to overcome. You know Iowa's tradition, whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think Penn State's put itself in the spot it needs to be in going into November, uh, going into his uh, November 18th announcement. I, I still like Penn State here. Don't think it's a done deal. Thought they had a great official visit. I think he's seen everything that he p- can possibly see from Penn State, and I think that th- they were on him from the start. They've got this relationship built with with not only him but his family. So they've got uh, a, so many things going for it. If you if you just filled out a sheet, and I know these schools all do comp sheets where you're talking about you know the you know this guy catches this many balls and this guy you know when they offered you and all that kind of stuff. Penn State checks so many more boxes than anyone else. It's just a logical choice. I still like where Penn State stands here. I you know I don't think it's over. Don't think he's made that decision. But if you're Penn State, you've really done all you can, and you know he's your top target. He's the guy that you want to to fill out this class and to 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 take that next step. He can play right uh, play right away, and they've shown that they will play tight ends right away as they've done with Pat Fryermuth. I think uh, yeah, I mean just a, a lot points to Penn State here. Not done yet, but really got to like. I think I think what it's <clears throat> I think what I'm trying to say here is you got to like where Penn State stands better than you like where Iowa stands. You like where Michigan stands. You like where Georgia stands. So I think that's the thing to take out of it is is Penn State has so much going for it right now. They just have to finish the job. 
something tells me that Tyler Bowen or other members of the Penn State staff have, have made it clear to Theo Johnson what's going on in the last few weeks. Uh, Pat Fryermoose, three touchdown performance, uh, another Mackey Award player of the week nod, and Mike Kosicki, by the way, playing uh, his finest stretch of his young NFL career the last few weeks as well. So uh, a nice showing for, for Penn State tight ends of recent years and, and currently um, for Theo Johnson to just kind of consider and digest as he works his way through that decision. James Franklin was asked on Tuesday if he was able to get some uh, little R&R during the bye week. Of course, if you follow our coverage here at Lions 24-7, you know that it's a uh, it's an opportunity to hit the recruiting trail, and that's what they did pretty hard. Uh, Franklin talked about uh, starting his day one day in, in Philadelphia um, and it being uh, quite cold and then ending up in 90-degree weather down in Florida. That's that's kind of the nature of the business, and they try to uh, maximize these hours. Sean, you were all over it as usual with the bye week uh, recruiting coverage. Um, it, again, it was quite extensive. Yeah, quite extensive. He And this is a little bit different. You're not going to see kids. You're not getting into their living rooms. This is still the evaluation period where you basically show up at high schools, you talk to coaches, and then you go to games at night or, you know, you get on and you go to the next school. So Franklin started in Philly, <clears throat> as you said, a bunch of uh, underclassmen there that, that we're familiar with, Imhotep, Northeast, um, you know, Elijah Judy and Ken Talley at, at Northeast. Imhotep has a bunch of guys always. Um, some, some, some quality young talent in Philly flew to Jacksonville, of course, 2021 tight end commitment, Nick Elksness is there. Um, so that, you know, having a guy that's already committed in that class, you want to get out and you want to see him. Of course he, uh, you know, he's a really good player. I think we're probably not talking about him enough from there down to South Florida with Jay Wan Sider, Miami, Fort Lauderdale area. Saturday, they were in in the D.C. area, came back, uh, hit DeMatha, St. John's College, uh, saw Dante Thornton play, uh, former former Penn State commit. The, the Nittany Lions are still in there. Hopped a plane, went to New Jersey, saw Amin Vanover and some other guys in, in one of the marquee games in, in North Jersey. Assistants were all over the place as well. I just got a text from Micah Bowens. The, uh, you know, Ricky Ronnie was out in Vegas last week. Terry Smith was in Tampa. Jared Parker was in Texas. Uh, Tyler Bowen was in Atlanta. Terry Smith also in Pittsburgh. And uh, yeah, it, uh, excuse me. And uh, Sean Sean Martin. Excuse me. Sean Spencer went to see Sean Martin in West Virginia. So really, just all over the place last week. Um, it, that's a, that's what you use your bye weeks for. You know, they got a couple of days in, and, and with this second bye week, it kind of changed their schedule a little bit. You got the you got the younger kids their their uh, travel scrimmage on Tuesday instead of Wednesday, like they usually do. Of course, that gets the coaches out on the road a little bit earlier. So a lot of miles, a lot of work being put in on, on the, uh, the the off week. It's not really a time that you go out and you stump and you, and you recruit uh, these kids and their parents to Penn State. You got to go out and just be seen. And I think that's really what they got accomplished last week. Those are the trips that tend to stack up too when it, when a player is you know down the road trying to figure out his decision you know who was consistent who was showing their face around town and you know that, that's why that's why you log these kind of miles so full recruiting coverage uh, as as we suddenly get pretty close we're into November uh, the early signing period is is remarkably now just six weeks or so away seven weeks I guess um, so we'll have full coverage of that as Penn State looks to fill out its 2020 recruiting class a lot of traction being made in the 2021 recruiting cycle as well and we've got a battle of the unbeatens in the big 10 this week on lines 24 7 full coverage we'll be at practice tonight bring you the vip content as always for basketball fans out there i know it's not something that we touch on uh during the podcast but mark brendan is back on the beat uh starting last night with a season opening win for the nittany lions so plenty to get your fix of penn state uh, athletics right now on the site and by the way 
Sean, cool news coming from 24-7 Sports. This goes for the whole network. CBS all-access subscription, $99.99 value uh, over an annual subscription to CBS all-access. It's now just part of your 24-7 plan. All VIP members get CBS all-access, which is live streaming of shows, football games, you know, events, all, all the stuff that CBS is going to bring you. So cool partnership perk there uh, for our VIP subscribers. Yeah, that was one thing that uh, they've been working on for a while now. And you've got, like you said, NFL games on Sunday, uh, NCAA tournament in the spring, uh, things like that. It's 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 pretty, you know, it's one of those things where it, it helps you, you know, if you're on the fence about this and you're, you're a cord cutter, which, you know, I am as well. Um, I went without, I actually had uh, DirecTV now for a while and did not get my local channels. So CBS All Access really came through for me at that point uh, since switched to YouTube TV and I get that. But, but still, anytime you can get uh, a little more for your value um, with us. It, it's worth it. And I'm glad the guys at uh, 24-7 Sports and CBS were able to get this done. Thanks again to Ryan Burns, uh, who does a great job covering Minnesota football for providing his insight. We'll be back with you for a second episode this week to preview uh, things for this Penn State-Minnesota uh, matchup. We'll see what uh, what more insight we can gather uh, from Wednesday. A couple conversations upcoming with players, uh, practice availability, and, and then we roll it into Thursday. We'll be talking with Matt Limegrover, the offensive line coach. So I should have some, some fresh content to provide. Uh, Sean, anything before we uh, head out for now? No, I think you covered it. We'll be back sooner than you think. Uh, you you were a little under the weather yesterday. Also, I mentioned uh, anniversary dinner with your wife, so that kind of took precedent. Obviously, we're both, as we've mentioned before, scared of her. So, um, But uh, no, that should be it. We'll, I guess we'll see you later this week. Sounds good. We'll talk to you soon. For Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue. Uh, this, of course, is the Lions 24-7 Podcast. <laughs>